there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Two bodies. You know, it's like that song, I ain't got no body. Well, I got two bodies. You, on the other hand, have simplified life and just have one. In another sense, that's the one you're trapped in. So you have no escape route. So having two bodies, if one starts to get a little weird, you can always escape to the other one. What is he talking about now? If our happiness depends on outer conditions, we are not free. Would you agree? If your happiness depends on outer conditions, then you're not free. If your happiness depends on how much money you have to spend, how much food you have to eat, what kind of clothes you have to wear, what kind of car you have to drive, you are not free because you're not free to be happy. Well, what is the solution to that? Well, don't be happy. Happiness has nothing to do with anything. We talked about this yesterday. Well, that's not on my radar screen. Happiness isn't important. And we, as we discussed a little more, we saw that happiness was important. In fact, happiness was the only important thing. It's just that we didn't want to admit that we needed to be happy and that we were dependent, that we weren't free. It's possible to reach a stage in which we have some independence. How much independence? I'm not going to go there. I'll just say some independence. Is it possible to have total independence? I don't know. I'm not going to go there. This work calls it the second body. We have a physical body, but the second body doesn't depend on it and can control it. How much can it control it? I don't know. I think it probably would depend on how comfortable and how well-developed the second body was, how comfortable you are in it and how well-developed it is. I think that's what would determine how much you could control the first body with the second body. For example, we know that there are yogis who can stop breathing for a long time. We know that they can stop their heartbeat. We know they can do all kinds of things, but we don't know how. At least, we don't know how in a Western sense. And it's, they have developed a second body that has control over the first body. When circumstances affect the first body, like wealth, poverty, comfort, discomfort, the second body is unmoved. Perhaps you think you have a second body. Perhaps you do. Then when circumstances change, you're unmoved. Then you have no reactions, basically. You have a second body. Congratulations. A person always making requirements is always unhappy. His happiness depends on outer things being what he thinks they need to be in order for him to be right. So people who are under the age of 10 should say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am to people who are over the age of 30. This is a requirement that someone has. I'm making these up as I go along. This is a requirement. So if someone under the age of 10 doesn't say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am or no ma'am to someone over the age of 30, this person is unhappy. And this person says, no, I'm not unhappy, but you're going to be unhappy. They are unhappy or else they wouldn't want to make someone else unhappy. You see, do you understand? Oh, but I'm doing it for your good. Yes, we know what that's like in this world. All of the major wars on our planet have been because we were helping somebody. 
Helping them what? Helping them have their houses burned down, lose their crops, their fields, their children, their wives, their husbands. What? We were helping them out of this life? Well, yes, what a great aid we are. Oh, wonderful. And did they ask for that help? Well, no. I'm not sure helping is a good idea, especially the way we've done it historically. The bottom line is these people don't like these people, these circumstances, these objects. I don't like that noise. I don't like those people who are making that noise. I don't like those things that they're banging that make that noise. So they're unhappy because they have requirements. What's wrong with requirements? Nothing. What's wrong with unhappiness? Requirements equal unhappiness. You want unhappiness? Make more requirements. You want more happiness? Make fewer requirements. Well, that's not fair. No, I know. It's awful, isn't it? These man-made requirements plunge us into negative depressions when they're unmet. When the requirement isn't met, when you didn't give me what I required of you, I am plunged into a negative state. I am plunged into anger. I am plunged into upset. I am plunged into negativity. What plunged me there? You not doing what I said you have to do. No. What plunged you there was your requirement, not what the other person did. And some people will not let go of this. Instead of accepting the fact that their requirements are making them unhappy, they continue to say, no, my requirements are normal. You are what's wrong in this whole equation because my requirements are all justified. Justified or not, let me promise you this. If you make requirements, you will be unhappy. Well, so what? At least I'll get what I want, and that will make me happy. You can often find happiness when everything's going wrong by practicing the work. Not all the time, but often. Everything can be going wrong. You're not getting any of your requirements met, but you can still be happy. How does that happen? Well, it's called separation. You see it. You see all the requirements not being met, and you separate, and you go, boy, that sure was stupid to make that many requirements. It actually becomes a little humorous when you're separated from it. When you're in it and identified with it, there's nothing funny about it, at least not to you. There may be to other people who are not as identified. But people speak a great deal about how things should be, what others should do. These are requirements that meet the requirements for making us unhappy. Well, what's the big deal with happiness? What else have you got? Health. And what does health give you? It gives me the ability to be happy. See, happiness is not a warm puppy. <laughs> happiness is our natural state. It's our unencumbered state. When a child, an infant, is happy, you know it doesn't need anything. When it's unhappy, all of the adults around start to hustle to find out what is making this child unhappy. We need to get rid of that so that we can go back to being happy. See, so happiness is our natural state, so we naturally desire it because it's our natural state. To deny that is fear. The only thing that makes you deny happiness is fear. There's nothing else. You're afraid of losing the happiness, so you deny it. I don't want happiness. Why? Because you're afraid of losing it. Why are you afraid of losing it? Because you've lost it so many times. Why have you lost it so many times? Because you have so many requirements. Shut up. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up now then. All that happens in life is a means, not an end. Everything that happens in life is a means, not an end. This work perspective helps free us from identification. When we start to approach life as, look, this is a means, not an end. Well, what this just happened? Yeah. So, it's not the end. It's a means to something else. Well, to what? 
to, to the poorhouse, to, 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 to a death camp, to what? Well, I don't know. Why don't you lighten up and find out? Why don't you look inside? Why don't you back away from this and stop identifying from this? And this is what the work teaches. It may not teach it very well in our modern era, but that's only because people who teach the work don't understand what the work is about. They have forgotten that the work is not an end. It's a means, just like life. One body, people, people who have one body, physical body, take life as an end. Why? Because that's all they got. You've got a physical body, life must be the end. This must be, this must be what it's all about. It must be all about my physical body. And so they make requirements. Well, of course, that's the most natural thing in the world to do, isn't it? Your physical body has requirements. So if you are your physical body and that's all you are, then you have a lot of requirements. I mean, just built-in requirements. Temperature requirements, water requirements, food requirements, clothing requirements, shelter requirements. It goes on and on and on. Then as you, that's when you're just a kid. Then you get older and you start to have other requirements. Well, I have to have people and I have to have sex and I have to have this and I have to have that. And I've got to have peers and I've got to have people approve of me. And it just goes on and on and on. The requirements build and build and build until we have a library, a law library full of requirements. What are laws? Requirements. The requirements of the law. The law requires. We don't need any more requirements. We could use a little more happiness. So people who take life as an end and always seek results work for results and are miserable if they fail, no matter how many bodies they claim to have. Oh, I've got two bodies, but they're miserable when they fail. Maybe you ought to spend more time in the other one. Well, I usually do, but I come here to visit this one when, it's, when I failed so I can be miserable. Okay. But the rest of the time I'm happy, which proves I have a second body. No, it doesn't. It just proves that your requirements are being met temporarily. That's all it really proves. Like Rex said, hey, when everything's going great, everybody's doing fine. It's when the storm comes up, that's the real test. And he's right. If your happiness depends on praise of others, you're a machine. If your happiness depends on making money, you're a machine. If your happiness depends on people treating you rightly, you're a machine. Now, does that really mean you're a machine? No. What that really means is you have requirements. If the requirements are not met, your reaction will be to be unhappy. That's what that means. So don't go around looking for nuts and bolts. Although, in some people you can find them. Making accounts comes from making requirements. This is not the source of peace of mind. You make requirements and then you end up having accounts. Well, what are accounts? Accounts are all the requirements that people didn't meet that you've saved up to use against them. Why? So that you can ensure that your unhappiness will not get away from you. But that's never what we think. We think it's because we're going to make them pay and then we'll be happy. Always noticing people and things are not as you wish them to be guarantees negativity and unhappiness. You must awaken and hold in yourself the secret of being happy. The power of this work is non-identifying. People think it's self-observation. They're wrong. It is not. People observe themselves all day long and they're not happy and they get nowhere. They're tail chasing. If you're observing yourself and identifying, you're not doing what this work calls self-observation. Unless you master non-identifying, you remain at the mercy of the first body, which has a triad 
it uses to keep you imprisoned. A triad. Oh, this is fodder for the intellect. We love this. Ooh, a triad. Okay, remember a triad means three, like a tripod. We knew a dog once named Tripod. He had three legs. It was a Dalmatian. Belonged to a, a news guy. A guy who, who, who had, what, he had some little Christian paper or something. Yeah. Tripod. Cute dog. Anyhow, it's a triad. This first body has this triad that it uses to keep us imprisoned. Now, when I say it uses, do I mean it's intelligent and it uses this triad to... Well, everything's intelligent, just different levels and degrees of intelligence. Everything's intelligence. There's the intelligence of a cell. There's the intelligence of an atom. There's the intelligence of a molecule. There's the intelligence of a human being. There's the intelligence of a dog. There's the intelligence of a cat. And they're all different. There's the intelligence of a bird. A bird knows how to fly. A bird knows how to make it. What kind of intelligence is that? It's innate intelligence. And then there's other kinds of intelligence. There's artificial intelligence for computers. So what, are, what is this triad? Pictures, roles, and attitudes. Pictures, roles, and attitudes prevent us from any real understanding of ourselves or our lives, and they make us dependent on outer conditions. Pictures, roles, and attitudes. What, what do I mean by pictures? A picture is a fixed form of imagination about oneself. With a strong self-picture, a person is bound to be vexed by life. The stronger your self-pictures, the more you will be vexed by life. What does that mean? The more unhappy you will be. The stronger your self-pictures, the more vexed you will be by life. Why? Because a strong self-picture means automatic requirements. If you have a strong self-picture, you will require that other people have that picture of you as well. If they do not, they are not meeting your requirements and you will be unhappy. Everything false arouses its opposite. What does this mean? You're asking me if truth. So everything false arouses its opposite means if truth. It means if. Did I wake you up? Did I wake you? Did I, did I disturb your nap? I apologize. I'm sorry. Let me just try this again. Everything false arouses its opposite. So if you have a picture of yourself that's not true, it's going to arouse in the world its opposite. So in a sense, it will be truth. Is that what you were going for? Yes, sir. Good girl. What will it arouse? It will arouse whatever is opposite to it. So let's say you have this picture of yourself as being this wonderful, honest person who never, ever, ever deceives or cheats or steals. What will that arouse? You're going to get locked up for speeding or for drinking and driving or for stealing or for something. Well, what do you mean, speeding? That's totally dishonest, isn't it? You signed, you gave your word when you got your driver's license that you would obey the laws and the law, the speed limit is clearly posted, and you deliberately ignore it. That's deception. You lied. Well, but, but, but that's different. No, it's not different. That is your picture arousing its opposite. And what do we say to that? Now you've gone from preaching to meddling. A man full of pictures, roles, or attitudes can't form second body. He'll never master non-identifying. As long as he's got the pictures, the roles, and the attitudes, it's not going to happen. It cannot happen. They must be gotten rid of first before second body can begin to be formed. A picture of ourselves that arouses the opposite 
is because we have the picture because we don't accept the opposite. That's what the picture's for. The picture is to put over the thing we don't like. So you see something about yourself or someone else sees something about you that you don't like and you don't want to accept, so we have this picture, we just paste it right over it. Remember the, the old Lauren and Hardy movies where they used to get a job and they'd have a bucket and some paste and water and, and they'd go and put up bills around town? And they, you remember, and billboards, they used to do billboards that way too. I don't know how they do them now, but it's, it's kind of a cool kind of thing. They'd slap it up there and just whoosh, slap this picture up there and rub it all out and it'd be this billboard thing. It'd be cool, or poster, you know, whatever. And that's what pictures are like for us. We just slap them right, and then they do, they do it right over. There were dozens of them there before, and they just slap it right over the last one. You know, and then those, some would peel off, they'd just slap it right over the last one. And those would peel off, they'd slap it right over the next one. And that's what pictures are like. So somebody comes along and they've got something, they see something about us, and we don't like it, so we slap a picture over it. We won't accept it. Why? It's not acceptable. It doesn't make us look good. What does that mean? Well, we already had a picture of ourselves. So they come along and they, put the, they show us this other thing, so what do we do? We take that picture we had of ourselves and we slap it over that one. And so all of life becomes slapping pictures over reality so that we don't have to see what we're like. Not a very good state to be in, but it's the state we generally find ourselves in or the state that this work finds us in. So when we don't accept the opposite side of ourselves, we're not awake. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be awake? Awake means to be more aware. Aware of what? Aware of what's there. So if there's something you don't accept about yourself, then you're not awake to that. For example, you may not have thought you were a deceptive person until I brought up the thing with speeding. You signed an agreement with the state that you wouldn't do that. And now you're doing it. So you're deceptive. You lied. Oh, but, but, but there were extenuating circumstances. Like, yes, I know. Your, uh, your dog needed to get to the vet in a hurry. So all of the laws of the universe should be suspended for the 15 minutes it takes you to get from your house to the vet because you have extenuating circumstances. It's like, well, a very important man fell off of a building on Tuesday at 4 o'clock, so now every Tuesday at 4 o'clock we turn gravity off in honor of that man. It's insane. But in our world, nothing is too insane for us. Look at the pictures we have of ourselves. They're insane. They don't reflect who we actually are in any way, shape, or form. They're insane. But we believe in them completely, and we will defend them to another person's death. And remember, another person's death doesn't mean you have to choke them out until they're dead. All you have to do is hate them, and you're already a murderer. Or just banish them out of your life. They're dead to you. It can take many years of practice at this point to allow enough light in to our inner darkness. This is the thing about this work, is that it can take a lot of years of genuine, non-identified self-observation to let enough light in to start to see what we really are. Well, why? Well, because we don't observe without identifying. It may be a lot less time if we could observe without identifying. But every time we identify, it just hammers the nail in deeper. We hang pictures over windows preventing the entrance of light, which prevents us accepting sides that don't agree with our pictures. We remain divided into light, dark sides. Well, what that means is when we are divided into light sides and dark sides, and we are, all of us are divided into light side and a dark side, 
What that means is disharmony. In case you did not know, disharmony is not one of the ingredients of happiness. It's an ingredient for happiness rid, which is a pill that you take. If you've got too much happiness, you just take this pill and it rids it, rids you of the happiness. And that's the pill. The pill is having a dark side and a light side, because eventually there's going to be conflict, disharmony. We've got five or six roles we play in life. The problem is, is that we think we play roles. And the truth is, roles play us. Somebody walks into a room, and they're this person and that person, and they don't like them. They instantly start to, they instantly begin to be played by a role that they have. They come in and they respect these people. They're instantly played by some other role that they have. They get around their parents. They're played by a role that they have around their parents. They get around their friends. They're played by a role that they have around their friends. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. so roles play people. People don't play roles. Roles enslave us as much as pictures do. And this is why the first body uses them in the triad. Gradually, we work to become aware of pictures, roles, and attitudes. Attitudes are easily formed by upbringing. If you're on this planet, you've got attitudes. See that girl over there? She's got attitude. We're taught points of view as being right. These people are bad. These people are good. This, these are, this is the good side of the family. That's the bad side of the family. This is the good brother. That's the bad brother. This is the good son. That's the, the black sheep. These are attitudes that we're taught, views, points of view that we're taught are right. These points of view become attitudes. How can we be free inside if we're full of darkness? If you can't let light in because you've got pictures over the windows, if you can't let light in because you've got attitudes, if you can't let light in because roles are playing you, how can you be free? How can you be free in darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, how could the light in you be darkness? Is there any such thing as total darkness? No. There is no place that light is not present. Well, then how can light and darkness be together? What are shadows? Light and darkness together. So there are degrees of light and there are degrees of darkness. Now you're really making it confusing. No. You are. It's as plain as that. Notice carefully what vexes you. Notice carefully what destroys the little bit of happiness of which you are capable. Notice it very carefully. When I say notice it, I mean make note of it. Consciously, with attention, make note of it. This vexes me. When people say that, it irritates me. When people say that, it upsets me. When people say that, it unsettles me. Whatever. When people do that, whatever. When this happens, when that happens, whatever vexes you, make note of that. Self-observation is a discipline because it requires non-identifying in order to be practiced. Once you've made a solid observation, find out if it was an unsatisfied picture, a role that was playing you that met with no praise, or if it was an attitude that you had that was completely useless. It just, did you, it just did nothing for you whatsoever. And so it didn't work. Notice those things. So when you make a solid observation, go a little bit further, find out if it was an unsatisfied picture, a role that met with no praise, or a useless attitude. Attitudes are nearly always negative.
Attitudes are those things through which we judge people and things. And if attitudes are always negative, perhaps we understand now why judgments are almost always negative. Pictures and attitudes make us blind. I've already given you the idea that we plaster pictures over the window so the light can't come in. The light can't come in from anywhere. You're in darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the only light that you have is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you were born blind and you've never seen light, how great is that darkness? I had a blind woman tell me one time, you know, people just don't understand. It's not like dark. It's like nothing. She said, I don't see darkness. There's nothing. She was born blind. There's nothing. Now, see, sighted people, it's hard for us to get our minds around that, which is why sighted people can be so cruel and unkind to unsighted people, because they don't understand. You remember the story that Gwanka used to tell about the, the blind boy and the duck? It's white. Look at those white, those clouds of white. What is white, the blind boy said. What are you, what's the matter with you? What do you mean you don't know what white is? Like a duck. And he goes, a duck? Yeah, here, and he hands him a duck. Oh, white is fluffy and soft. No, 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 you idiot. It's white like a duck. Oh, try it again. So he feels the duck again. He says, oh, it's curved and crooked. No, 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 you idiot. You say, and that's just what I'm talking about. No attempt to understand what it's like not to be able to see. No understanding. Pictures and attitudes are like that. They make us blind. Try to notice when you're talking from attitudes or roles. That's all. Just try to notice. I'm not asking you to try and stop it. Just try to notice. If you can't notice it in yourself, look at others who are doing the same things that you do. That will work every time. Now, the problem is you won't see that, that's, that they're doing the same thing you do. That comes a little later. But it does come. If you're sincere, it does come. You see what other people are doing, and you go, oh, I've done that. It's just a kind of a cringe moment, you know. It's like, oh, I've done that. You back off a little bit because you have a little more understanding. So try to notice when you're talking from attitudes and roles, or roles, and if you can't notice it, then notice it in others who do the same thing that you're doing. Do not imagine you will grow second, a second body by coveting another's. You don't grow a second body by being around someone who's got one or by coveting someone who's got one. You grow a second body by doing the work yourself. There's no other way. The physical body grew slowly, needing proper nourishment and exercise. The second body needs self-observation, memory, and insight that self-observation produces. Self-observation produces. When I say self-observation, I don't ever want to have to say proper self-observation again. When I say self-observation, I mean non-identified self-observation. Anything else is not self-observation. It's introspection. Introspection is not self-observation. Introspection is what we all do to make ourselves unhappy. It's like having a tooth pulled and sticking your tongue again and again into the hole in your tooth. Ow, ow, oh, yes, it's still there and it still hurts. Oh, ow, oh, why did I do that? Oh, ow, oh, ah, that's introspection. That's not what I'm talking about. If it hurts, it's not self-observation. Finally, be happy. You're on the way. You've come a long, long, long way. And you're doing great. Ah, uh, yeah, you're not doing as well as you'd like. But that's your problem. Why not just accept that? Why not just accept this is what I have today? Consider the lilies of the field. Are they out there 
doing their calisthenics in the morning. Oh, come on, we got to grow. Come on, oh, look, the sun's coming up. Let's get after it. Come on. No. Are they out there telling each other, oh, I grew more than you? Are they out there looking at each other? No. What are they doing? They're being in the sun. They're allowing the breeze to sway them. They're allowing the earth to nourish them. They're allowing the sun to fall on them. And they're photosynthesizing effortlessly. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider, if you will, you don't have to, but consider being like the lilies in the field. Just for a little while. Just take 10 minutes and consider the lilies of the field. Just consider being like a lily of the field. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.